Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at BI Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. Hello to our audience and hi to my favorite podcaster in the world. Hi, Ria. <laughs> Good morning, Miloš. How is it going? It is going very well, considering how cold and dark and gloomy it is in Norway. But I am, despite that, doing really well because I'm looking so much forward to today's podcast. Yeah, it feels like it's been too long, so I am so excited to uh, dive in today. Me too. And actually, it's not that often that uh, whenever we talk that I get this message from you like immediately. Can we talk about this? I'm super Super thrilled for today's topic. So uh, I just want us to use our time super efficiently because there is so much to talk about. Can you tell people yeah. a bit about the case that you asked me if we can discuss in detail? Yeah, so when I saw this uh, on my RSS feed, because of, of course I monitor all of the data protection agencies, news sites and all of the rulings and all of the decisions coming uh, from across the EEA. And of course, including the UK as well. And this just really caught my attention and blew me away and not in a good way. It revolves around this catalog retailer called Easy Life. I'm going to repeat that Easy Life for anyone in the UK. Please do read up on this decision because it's uh, frankly just horrifying. Yeah, I mean, catalog companies sometimes can have some pretty tricky uh, marketing practices, to put it mildly. But what was yes. so particularly outrageous about this one? So the first thing was actually the level of the fines or the penalties issued by the ICO. So that totaled £1.48 million. And there's been, I know, some criticism regarding the enforcement practices of the ICO. So uh, we're glad to see that at least the level of fines are increasing. But uh, what was really striking in their press release, they started by describing that if a person bought a jar opener or a dinner tray, Easy Life would use that data to assume that the person had arthritis. And then they would call the person to market uh, related health products. So they just looked at all of the products they were selling. Uh, they have, uh, I think, 122. And of those, about 80 are so-called trigger products. Meaning that if you buy this from Easy Life, they would assume that you have some sort of um, a medical condition. And then they will call you, uh, regardless of not, or if you are listed in the non-call database in the UK, and try to offer you various uh, related products. I, I mean, that's... I have no comment for now. I think that uh, also the way that they've handled the whole thing. So reading into their response to the ICO, they say basically, yeah, you know what, we are doing this. However, a lot of people to whom we are marketing are actually elderly and they do like being cold and do, they do like talking about their health. So no harm done there, right? So I think that that response alone uh, shows a bit of institutional accountability there, right? Isn't that absolutely awful? Like the, uh, the ICO, they say that uh, the Easy Life target market is older people with long-term health conditions. And that a company says that, oh, of course, these elderly, they are so, you know, alone and lonely. So they are often glad to talk to someone about their medical condition. And they also said that 
Uh, they quickly determined if there was the slightest hint of embarrassment from the customer. Uh, but as most were elderly, they welcomed the conversation. Can you yeah. believe that? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to me that somebody would actually like seriously use that argument and just say, you know what, yes, they're elderly, yes, they're vulnerable, but they do actually like to talk about their health. So let us just try to sell them stuff. I mean, this really reminds me, uh, this year I've been teaching a course on GDPR and on legal tech, and I've had some like really, really exceptionally good students. And I've tried to give them like a sample exam to practice. You know, this was before I've read about this case. I was thinking, hmm, what could somebody do that's so like outrageously wrong that they don't know where to start with? So I was like, hmm, there's this spa which looks into video recordings to determine who might be pregnant and then sends the marketing, thinking like, you know, they will see that this is over-exaggerated and everything. And then I read about this case and I'm like, my God, like, there is worse stuff in this world than I imagined. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, for sure. And when we look at the uh, documents from the ICO and the various news articles regarding this company and their uh, you know, despicable practices, they, they cite complaints including individuals who had felt angry, concerned, upset, anxious, threatened, disrupted, annoyed, distressed, or harassed. I mean, come on. And then Easy Life uh, comes out after criticizing the ICO. And they were simply trying to minimize the number of calls. And um, they also said that it seems that the ICO and its new commissioner, John Edwards, would prefer it if businesses uh, like Easy Life made more untargeted calls. Yeah. It's uh, it's when we we're going to dive more into this, yeah. but they they believe that they have broken no laws, not the GDPR and not the PSDR either. Incredible! It, it it truly is astounding to me that somebody could be saying these things. You get caught doing this. The right move is not to go out there and to say, you know what, this is perfectly fine because this is better for those people than if they got the very generic offers. I think that goes back into the whole question of like the nature of harm in these um, personalized ads and all of that that I'm sure we could talk about for like five episodes. And oh, I think sure. we should definitely look into that. But looking into how the ICO handled this case, I think it was very right of them to start by looking into Article 5, go again from what we preach all the time from the data protection principles. And from what I recall, they started by focusing into transparency and lawfulness, right? So that was yes. their starting point of like, you didn't actually inform people and you had no legal basis for this processing. And regarding some information, they actually did have a privacy notice, but the privacy notice was your short, generic, typical website privacy notice that didn't actually give any meaningful details of the processing, if I recall correctly. And ICO found that that was especially concerning in this case. So do you think that uh, that kind of ties back into the whole discussion about like the duty to proactively and very clearly inform the data subjects, especially the data subjects which are who are in more sensitive position or who are buying potentially medical products about these things? Do you think that they are being, um, do you think that it was just the right choice to focus on the transparency of this processing? Absolutely. As you said, the starting point was Article 5.1a on lawfulness. And they concluded that uh, they didn't have a legal basis because the... Uh, let me start by summarizing by reading just one section from the ICO's um, uh, documents. 
So they're saying that the transactional purchase data of Easy Life's customers was personal data, so that's fine. When they then used this data, transactional data, to influence its decisions on which customers subject to telemarketing, this constituted profiling. And when they then used the transactional data to influence its decisions on which products to market to which customers, based on its in inferences about a health condition, that constitute the processing of special category data, irrespective mm. of the level of statistical confidence which EastLife had in the profiling which it had done. So there's so much to unpack here. Mm. So uh, I think it's worth mentioning the profiling here, especially because I think we, you mentioned ad tech as well. And I think most people tend to think that this is so super complex. It involves the huge ecosystem of ad tech and thousands and hundreds of thousands of data points and very intricate processing. But this case just shows that profiling can be pretty simple in nature as well. And uh, the, the issue here was also that when you spoke about lawfulness, that Easy Life, they relied on what they believed were their own legitimate interests. But since this involved special category data, which they also denied, the ICO said that the only legal basis available here was actually consent. Yeah. And I think that that makes sense. And it's perfectly in line with the, with the current ruling, or sorry, the latest ruling, which we got on Article 9 and how... Article yes. 9 categories of data should be interpreted. Now, I could say that I think that that ruling is practical or impractical, but I also see which which starting uh, point it took. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I, I think that there is nothing problematic there with uh, ICO's conclusion at all. I think it was the right conclusion to draw. And look, even if we were not talking about special categories of data, even if they were to conclude that Article 9 doesn't apply, I still think that there would be no legitimate interest here. I don't know how you feel about that. Interestingly, they uh, they actually did a legitimate interest assessment, which I see tend to be lacking in, in some of the rulings and the decisions that I read. So they actually did one. However, they relied on a generic form for a legitimate interest assessed for a different marketing campaign, which didn't even include profiling. And in this legitimate interest, they uh, one of the questions was, are you processing special category data? And EasyLife had said, uh, no, we don't. And... Uh, it, there was so many problems with this legitimate interest assessment. So no, it's not enough to conduct one. It actually has to be truthful and accurate as well. And I, I don't see that uh, their interest could override the interest of the individuals, especially considering all of the feedback that they had. There was so much negativity around this. I mean, the, the practices that they have... Let me just uh, cite one of these that I think is absolutely despicable, where they are selling um, like a club membership or subscription for uh, motor or car related products and services to uh, people. One was 86 years old, didn't even drive a car, who was then convinced to purchase this annual subscription of, uh, I think it was 60 pounds. And 60 pounds might not seem like a big deal, but these are elderly people. They might not have uh, even the, the smallest pension to, uh, to go by. And considering the economic landscape today, this could be a really big loss for them. I fully, fully, fully agree there. I, I mean, there is 
no way to look into this and think that this is something that actually benefits those people, right? But, you know, let's go back to those outrageous subscription selling things uh, once we once we kind of wrap up on the discussion of this Article 9 special categories, because I do have some thoughts uh, regarding how that should be handled in the future. But basically, uh, looking into these health products and their inference that, as you said, you buy a jar opener, you have arthritis, let me call you and surely you will be happy to speak with me. And then they do this without proper consent and without legitimate interest. So organizationally, I think it's uh, it's very important to note exactly one thing which you mentioned, and that's that they used generic legitimate interest assessment and a generic consent text. So I have actually seen this tendency pretty often that people will do one legitimate interest assessment for marketing. They will think that that, you know, uh, kind of extends to every possible category of processing for that kind of purpose without then looking into the details and checking whether or not that assessment still applies. So yeah. I think that one of the important takeaways for me here is that people need to actually go through their assessments and check whether they apply to processings in question, right? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. And the thing is also that it always comes down to your type and size of business, what type of personal data you process, because after all, there's a huge difference in doing a legitimate interest assessment for employee-related non-sensitive personal data versus really invasive, sensitive uh, health data. So you also need to consider where to really put your put the work. And for the more simpler legitimate interest assessments, yes, you can probably reuse them for other non-sensitive, non-invasive uses and not put that much work into them. But I would rather have people put the most work into those processing operations that really represent intrusive and sensitive or special category or whatever it is. So my advice is always look at the processing, look at what kind of personal data, uh, how much of it. Uh, there's a huge difference in processing special category data of 10 people and that being allergy for a conference. You can still have a special category data. It doesn't mean that you need to do like this full-blown uh, day workshop on a legitimate interest assessment for that processing. But for this kind of processing, yes, you should do that full-blown workshop. Mm. I mean, that's another thing about Article 9 category data and how strictly you want to interpret those criteria. Do you, do you then want to say... You need explicit consent for everybody's allergy preferences. And uh, I think Article 9 we can talk about definitely in days. And I fully, fully agree with that, that you need to go and assess on a case-by-case -case basis. And then it was, there was the whole question of consent as well, right? Because pretty much like they did with legitimate interest, they also asked for consent in some way, which was very um, generic. So they did ask for marketing consent, but it did not include any reference to Article 9 health data, right? if I recall correctly. So it was just, you agreed to receive promotional offers about these topics from us. Well, they relied on what's called in the UK, the soft opt-in for existing customers. So meaning I would buy something from their catalog on their website or whatever. And uh, then they would rely on soft opt-in, uh, meaning you don't need explicit consent for further marketing. However, since this involves special category personal data, you would still need that consent. And this, uh, an important point here is that there were different uh, penalty notices from the ICO. So one case regarded GDPR, 
this was back this was started back in uh, 2019 so this was the EU GDPR and the second case uh, was tied to the PECR which is the UK's implementation of the e-privacy directive with uh, all the uh, direct marketing practices and so so we're talking about uh, both of these uh, cases and I really recommend that people go through the documents from the ICO and there's so much interesting to read from both the PECR and the GDPR uh, notices. So, yeah, that's that's actually very, uh, very much uh, join you in that recommendation because there is a lot to uncover in these cases. But yes, so in essence, legitimate interest was held uh, to as, uh, you know, improperly weighted and improperly applied by the ICO. And then they also said that the consent in its current form was not sufficient and not proper for processing, leaving them without the legal basis. And then the company in its infinite wisdom says, oh, you know what, um, there is, there was, I don't know, an employee or somebody internal who told them that this consent text is sufficient, so therefore they should not be liable. <laughs> now, I, from what I understand, the facts on this are disputed, but uh, tell me, uh, from your perspective and understanding of a DPO role, like, do you agree with this assessment? You know what, my DPO told me this consent is fine, so you shouldn't be fining me right now. Especially if it is an actual appointed DPO, you can't rely on that. And it's interesting because I picked up these things in the different notices. Uh, first, as you said, they refer to this former employee. And in one of the other documents, they refer to having appointed a data protection compliance officer, which is then not a DPO under the GDPR, in 2017-18. And then they appointed a data protection consultant from September 2018. But the ICO interestingly notes that there is no evidence that either were ever specifically asked by EasyLife to advise about direct marketing telephone campaigns, despite EasyLife claiming so. And even one of them had expressly stated in his contract that he could not be relied on to provide legal advice. So it's uh, Easy Life has a lot of statements in throughout the case descriptions here and but if we look at the facts they have been investigated several times by several various uh, regulatory authorities in the UK they have had numerous complaints against them following all the various news articles they have received so much feedback from the public that have experienced uh, problems with this company and relatives having to help the elderly unsubscribe or get a refund. So if you look at the, the basic facts in this case, I think it's without a doubt that Easy Life, they knew what they were doing and they, they claiming that they haven't broken any laws is just... Uh, yeah. Ludicrous. But, I mean, I do have to give them some points for creativity, like never in a million years, you know, you could leave me on an island to draft a response to a complaint or to a decision and never would I have come up with the argument of like, yeah, yeah, you know what, we asked internally, but they said it's fine. So, <laughs> I mean, as a mitigating factor, my God, if, if yeah. anything, it should be added to the fine. Um, oh, and they also mentioned that they were, uh, they didn't want to be competitively disadvantaged compared to others in their sector. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> amazing. Well, I mean, that then that just tells us that the sector needs more policing. So I think 
I just want to ask you one more uh, kind of broader question on that issue, and that's uh, the subscriptions you mentioned. So like selling a car subscription and pushing it onto an elderly person who doesn't have a car. Um, now, I love irrelevant facts and I love trash reality TV. One of my favorite guilty <laughs> pleasures uh, is the show called, uh, what was it? Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And now this season is going to oh start because one of them is going to jail. <laughs> So uh, she used millions um, basically to fund exactly this type of, you know, marketing campaigns, which were deceiving older people. And the interesting thing is that in the US, and again, I know this only because of my trash reality TV, she is actually facing criminal fraud charges and is about to go to jail. And that got me thinking, you know, why, why are we talking about the GDPR here? And we need mm. to do an episode of like, you know, to a man with a hammer, everything is a nail. And I firmly believe that we as GDPR experts, and especially, you know, in a broader sense, also those working in data protection authorities have this uh, tendency to see everything as a GDPR issue. I mean, jail these people, they're selling, you know, they're targeting, this is an unfair commercial practice. It's paramount to fraud. Like, leave the GDPR aside, just put them in jail. Yeah. So that's my perspective. On things well, I like that perspective and I fully support that. So uh, I think that uh, absolutely, that is a brilliant point. Uh, and as you said, we need to discuss that. What I do note, though, is, uh, as I said earlier, it's been discussed how uh, strict the ICO has been. And what I do like is that uh, the new commissioner, John Edwards, who started earlier this year, he says that uh, it's clear from the complaints we received that people felt threatened and distressed by the company's aggressive tactics. Uh, and this is unacceptable. Companies making similar nuisance calls and causing harm to people can expect a strong response from my office. So I do hope that uh, they will also look into actually jailing people. As you say. Yeah, I mean, this is a case for me, you know, for the police, not, uh, this is not, as I said, the GDPR uh, issue. This is, uh, yeah, there are many Well, you can be jailed it. under the GDPR as well. So as we saw in the Helsingør Google case, uh, the Danish uh, DPA said that you can, uh, you risk being jailed for up to six months if you uh, do not comply with the GDPR. So that's cited in their decisions as well. And we also had the same in uh, the prior Personal Data Act in Norway, I think maybe that was a regulation to the law. So not a regulation as in a European regulation, but a national regulation stipulating that you can risk jail, actual jail time. Oh, wow. I actually had no idea about that. You know what? Oh, there this you know. Means, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, you know, this just means that until the next episode, I'm going to bring out my detective hat and a magnifying glass. And uh, yes, we'll find somebody. Absolutely. With I mean, after the uh, Google case, one of the big, I shouldn't call it the Google case. Let's call it the Helsingør case. It's called, I called it the Helsingør gate at my um, presentation to the Norwegian Association of DPOs yesterday, because that is such a, an Easter egg of uh, GDPR violations that everybody should just dive through. And uh, one of the big headlines after this decision in July, then it was, um, in Denmark, you risk being jailed six months for using Google products. <laughs> so that is a bit sensational, but yeah. it isn't actually, uh, it isn't, I would remove Google, but it is actually accurate that you can be jailed for GDPR violations. 
super interesting. Uh, you know what? I need to read up on this, uh, and then we need to do an episode on this for sure. Like this is, uh, I think it's a plan. So thank you for today. Uh, let's go investigating, and uh, thanks to our audience for joining us as always. Yeah, and we will add all of the links and resources uh, to the show notes. And if you have any questions, just reach out. And uh, otherwise, we will catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for now. Bye-bye.